Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. As part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Opportunity School, online at opportunityschool.com, and to Ag Texas Farm Credit Services, online at agtexas.com. Look for the new July-August issue of Brick and Elm, available now, featuring our Amarillo Queso Quest cover. It's in stores now. You can get it at Market 33, United Supermarkets, Burrowing Owl Books, Barnes & Noble, and several other locations. It's a really fun issue. Also, you can read the free e-edition at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Lindsay Lane, a singer you've no doubt encountered at a local event, festival, concert, restaurant, uh, and a lot of other places in the area. As I mentioned in this interview, she's a country singer, and I think she's probably one of the hardest working performers in the local music scene. And one of the things I love about this podcast is that it allows us to gain a new perspective about someone we may already know or think we already know. And I believe this interview with Lindsay accomplishes that. You'll hear about her musical upbringing, her years as a third grade math teacher, her decision to pursue music full time, and a whole lot more. So here's Lindsay Lane. Lindsay Lane, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Good. I'm excited to have you here. I want to start with you, like I start with every guest, and just ask you why you're in Amarillo in the first place. So what brought you here? So I actually grew up in Lubbock, and then I went to WT for teaching. Okay. WT was far enough away from home, but if I needed something, it wasn't wasn't too yeah, far. You're not across the right. United States. Yeah. I actually looked into OSU, but then the price of that for out of state was remarkable. Yeah. And I was like, wow, okay, so not gonna happen. So yeah, I went to WT and got my teaching degree and then I just stayed. Okay. It was was it just because of the distance as opposed to going to tech or someplace yeah, like that? Everybody, you to get out? Yeah, everybody I knew was either going to tech or South Plains and so I didn't I didn't want to be around the same people mm-hmm. anymore, so I just decided WT. I don't even remember how I found it, actually. I have no idea. Had you, as, as someone who grew up in Lubbock, had you spent much time in Amarillo or so, this area? Yeah, I lived in Amarillo up until, like, second grade. Okay. So, for a little while, but nothing, I mean, that would really stick into my mind. But then we moved, my dad got transferred to Lubbock. And that's where we were for the remainder of the time. So I'd been to Amarillo, and we always drove through because my grandma lived in Woodward, Oklahoma. So okay. we'd always drive through. So I was, I guess, used to the area, so it wasn't too scary for me. What What years were you at WT? 2010 to 2014. Okay. And tell me about going from Lubbock to a smaller town like Canyon. I mean, culturally, it's the same kind of people probably, right. but like that's a It that's is a, a lot smaller. Difference. Yeah. Um. You know, I didn't mind it at all, really. I wasn't too concerned about it being smaller. I kind of liked it smaller. Everything shut down a lot earlier. Yeah. So, but it um, it didn't bother me any. I kind of liked it being smaller. Canyon was still dry at that point, which makes things a little bit different. As a college student, it was difficult. Yeah, we had to drive to Buffalo Chip. Yep. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of house parties, that more than you know going out. Which I guess probably saved us a lot of money in college. Did you always want to be a teacher? 
I guess so, yeah. I went in, and I wanted to be a music teacher, but that was when they were cutting out all the music programs. Mm -hmm. So they said, well, we're basically not going to let you do that, but you can get your gen ed teaching certificate. And I was like, okay, whatever. So that's what I did. <laughs> did you did you have jobs, like, available after you graduated? Um, yeah, so out of student teaching, I got a job straight out of the school I was student teaching at. Okay, so. where was it? Humphreys Highland Elementary. Okay. Yeah. You know what? That's where my dad went to elementary school. Really? Yeah. I love that school. It's great. It's huge for mm -hmm. an elementary. And I guess I didn't realize that it was one of the bigger ones at the time. I didn't, because there was like, there's like 600 kids yeah. at that time that were going through there. So. How long did you teach there? I taught for five years. I taught third grade math all five years, all at Humphreys Highland. So. Tell me about the students there, because Humphreys Highland is one of those kind of on the east side. Uh -huh. It's um, a Title One school, Title so one they school. call it. Uh -huh. Yeah. So what what was that like? The kids were great. Love the kids. They were a little wild sometimes, but they were just so sweet. You didn't have a whole lot of parent interaction. There were some parents that were super involved, but the majority of the parents were working all the time. Yeah. They, or shift work. Or, yeah, or it was shift work. Right. A lot of you know late night shifts and. So you heard from them when necessary, and they'd show up if they had to, but a lot of them just were working all the time, so they couldn't be available. But the kids were great. I, I If I taught, again, if I decided to go back to teaching, I would do a Title I school again, okay. I think. I always wonder, like, what kinds of reputations do those schools have among the teachers? Right. Because I, I feel like, and it sounds like this is what you're saying, like the, the challenge of teaching there is really fulfilling. Like it it's is. It's something that the teachers love because yeah. there are some different challenges you there might There are. Face. And of course, there are some of those students, like we did have to, you know, make reports to CPS often because there are students who are in bad situations, but the kids wanted to go to school, which is, you know, they didn't really have a lot at home. So. Mm -hmm going to school was a treat for them. Right. It was great. They loved it. Has music always been a part of your life? Yes. Yeah. My dad um, used to play like single acts when we lived in Amarillo at the country barn. Okay. And I remember um, my mom would come up and take me to, because we only had one car, so we'd go pick up dad around 2 a.m. Wow. And I'd show up in my little Tweety Bird PJs and get up there and sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or something silly. So it's always been a part of it, but I guess it didn't really set in that that's what I was going to do. Until, well, I guess I started teaching. I mean, I did stuff in high school. I did professional karaoke, as they call it. Okay. So I didn't know how to play instruments at the time. I could you could play. put a track on and you could sing. Yeah, track, exactly. Right? I would make my little set list with my little karaoke CDs, and dad would book me in at these little restaurants. And I was like 12, maybe 12 or 13 at the time. And I got paid, and I thought, this is, oh, wow, this is great. Like, I just get up here and do what I know how to do, and I have allowance. This is fantastic. But was that something your dad did full time or was it sort of a side um, gig for him? It was a side gig for him. Okay. And I, he, he used to do it full time back in his younger years, but then he had a family and so he just did it part time. Was your performance, was it all just natural talent? Did you ever have like training? Were you in the choir in high school? Like So actually, so I went to Lubbock Cooper and at that time they didn't have a choir until maybe my senior year of high school. Might have been my junior year, but at that time you had to choose between choir and band, and I had already been in band playing the clarinet. Okay. So I was like, well, I'll just stick with that. That's silly. But the only training I had, I had vocal lessons when I was about 12 for about a year from a South Plains college professor. 
So, but that's all, all that I did. I took piano lessons, okay. but not not great at piano. Were you always <laughs> performing other people's stuff, or were, did you ever try to write your own as a um, kid? Yeah, I actually I was usually performing other people's stuff, and then my high school. So, Lovett Cooper does a, a senior project where you have to pick something big to accomplish throughout right. the year and you got to write papers over it and give speeches and all this. So I decided to write a song. And so that was the first song I wrote. And then I just, you know, dabbled in it for fun throughout college with a few friends, but nothing that I was like, oh, yeah, I'm really going to pursue this. This is going to be yeah. great. It was just, oh, now here's this. It was almost like a therapy, I guess, more than actual songwriting and when, when you were that age and you were thinking about college, um, you know, you're applying or going to WT, mm-hmm. like, did you ever take seriously the idea that maybe I could just be a musician or did you always think normal people go to school and they get normal jobs like yeah. a teacher? Yeah, it was definitely normal people, okay. normal jobs. And my dad really pushed that. He was, it was weird. He was always like, well, I want you to pursue music, but you have to get a degree in something. You have to go do this, have a backup plan. Right. And I was like, okay, well, so then I was just, well, we'll just forget about the music thing. Cause that sounds like that's scary. So no thanks. And we'll just do this safe little, little route here. When did you start thinking maybe you don't have to do that safe route? Cause I know you um, taught for several years. Yeah. So actually my parents moved back up to Amarillo for a, about the whole time I was teaching, I guess. And my dad started a band, and he was like, hey, you know, come sing with us on the weekends. And I was like, all right, whatever, I'll show up and sing a few songs. So that's how it started. And then I started playing full-time with them on the weekends. And then I started pursuing my own little path and doing my own music and then had my own band in that sense. And then it just became too much. So around my... two full-time jobs, Yeah, it was two full-time jobs. So... I guess around my fourth year of teaching, I really started thinking, okay, well, maybe I can make this work. And then I looked at all my student loan debt and kind of had like a (laughs) breakdown. And I was like, here I am. I still have to pay all this back. And I don't even want to teach anymore. What am I going to do? It was like a, you know, a whole 20-year-old crisis, I guess. (laughs) But that's, I mean, that's a legitimate risk when you have financial obligations and then you're like taking this regular paycheck from the school district and saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. And it's, you know, the same, it's very, you get the same paycheck. It's really dependable Mm -hmm. versus this industry is not whatsoever. So you were a math teacher. Did did you ever sit down and do the math and think, okay, I need this many gigs a week (laughs) in order to survive? No, because I'm terrible at math. Honestly, (laughs) I feel sorry for all the kids. Those poor kids at Humphreys Island. (laughs) It's pretty bad. Um, Yeah, it's, it's not great. It's a good thing it was just third grade because, oh, there was no way I could do something harder than that. But no, I never sat down and really did the math. My husband is the math guy, and we met in junior high. So we got married when we were 22, I think. Yeah, 22. And so he was very much like, no, we'll be fine. You know, he he's the budget guy. Okay. So Tell me what that thought process was then when you started to think, okay, I'm just going to do the full-time music thing. Like, did mm-hmm. you... Did you have stuff lined up? Did you have a certain goal? Like, were you trying? I mean, how did yeah. you approach that? Because so, that's a big switch. It is a huge switch. So we had just released uh, my first EP, and that was kind of like a, I don't know, testing the waters kind of a thing. And, like, it didn't do anything massive, but it kind of gave me hope that we could do something. You know, like, if we did this, then we can do more. Mm-hmm. And so when I was talking to my husband about it, 
you know, we sat down and we did look at the budget. And at that time we were doing the Dave Ramsey stuff and it was, you know, cash only kind of. So he was like, okay, well, once we get to this point, then it really, it doesn't matter what you do. We can do whatever. We did the whole debt snowball. I mean, we paid off our first house. We paid off the cars. So we were completely debt free for like a few months until we bought a different house. And then I guess that that happens. It it happens. So I, I don't know. I guess that's how it rolled out. Give me a sense of the timeline, because I, I know you get really busy mm-hmm. in the summer. Right. Did you, like, start as a full-time musician right after a school year ended? Was um, that kind of how I it I mean, worked? yeah, we were already playing. You were playing. already playing. We were already so playing, just... yeah. And so, I mean, even on that last day of school, I went directly to a gig, so hmm. right after that. And then it, at that point, it was just book everything we can. And at that time, the band the majority of them still had daytime jobs. So I was still having to work around that. So in the meantime, while they were, you know, working and we could only do Friday, Saturdays, mm-hmm. I was just making sure whatever gigs we got were worth it and we could sustain off of them, essentially. Did you have, like, your existing band already in place um, at that point? Yes, yeah. We were we were roaring to go. And then um, as time passed, the lead guitar player ended up leaving his full-time job and then um, the bass player was always doing music full time, but he played for Doug Stone, who's a 90s country artist. So he was doing stuff with him already. And then eventually we just got so busy that he left Doug Stone and just stayed with us full time. Okay. Yeah. And then um, when 2020 hit, we ended up, because we had a full band with a drummer and a piano player at that point in time. And then 2020 came along and, you know, all the COVID stuff happened. And we took about a month and a half off, I think. And then we started getting phone calls for, like, you know, underground parties. Felt very 1920s, like, we're just not going to tell anybody and close the curtains kind of a thing. And if we all die, we all die. It was very dramatic. Um, But they didn't want anything too loud. So we ended up cutting the drummer and the piano player. They were married, so we can't just get rid of one of them. Um, So we went a trio. And so that's kind of where we've been at for a while, just still trying to swim in that. And we've hired drummers here and there. but So it fluctuates a whole lot. Tell me what your you know, your average week or average month looks like mm-hmm. these days? Because I, I mean, we were talking before we started and you're like, well, I've got a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday gig right. next week. The sense I get paying attention to Amarillo's music scene and entertainment is it like you're the hardest working <laughs> performer in Amarillo because everything, you know, you seem to be participating in it yes. or you're doing shows almost every night. Yes. So like, tell me what that looks like for you. Just well, you know, Back to the question where how did we figure out that we were going to sustain it? We just took every gig that came our way. It didn't. It didn't matter if it paid twenty bucks. Didn't matter if it paid a thousand bucks. It was just we've got to we got to do something. Hopefully, tips will make up for it. You know, get our name out there and do all the things. And I think that kind of work ethic still kind of sits because if you're not working, then you're not making any money. Yeah. So we still try to if a gig comes up and we're all available, we'll just we'll do it if we're not dying. And you've done a variety of different gigs. Like it, yes. you've done big events. You'll do restaurant shows. Mm-hmm. You know, do do you have like a favorite kind of thing to do, or is um, all of it fun? To I mean, you? dive all of it's fun, but dive bars are my favorite. Okay, because I think people already come in with the expectation to have a good time. So there's not a barrier you have to break. Whereas in like restaurants, you have half the people who are there to have, if, especially if it's a bar restaurant. Right. Half the people are there to drink and have a good time. The other half is 
kind of you want to have a conversation right they wish you would right it down. all the time yeah and so that's kind of like a, okay murky waters where do we go but yeah dive bars are my favorite i like big festival shows but it's harder to get to know the audience right those so but dive bars you can go out there and meet all the people Give me give me a sense of what, um, and, and you don't have to name names or anything, but like like what do the next couple of weeks look like just in terms of where you're playing, mm-hmm. where you're performing? So we have some restaurant gigs, we have some dive bar gigs, and then we have some outdoor by ponds and lakes. We're all over the place, but okay. mostly in the sun. You're okay. in the sun in the summer, so. Do you do a lot of weddings in the summer? I, you know what? I honestly hate doing weddings. Really? I do. I do. So I usually try to uh, price myself out of weddings. Okay. If we're going to do it, it's got to be worth it. Because yeah. it's not just show up and play. There's speeches and there's particulars about where things can go and things that can be said, songs that can be played. and never, It's just... It's too complicated. It is very complicated. It's not just show up and play. And it's the same thing kind of with um, fundraisers. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, fundraisers are usually a little bit better than weddings just because they're a little bit more laid back, but there's always a few Karens at both of those <laughs> events. And so it just makes it a lot harder. So, so. I, I know that you have original music mm-hmm. that you've written, you've recorded. I know artists love to play their original stuff. Crowds or right. people who book you want you to play favorites. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you how do you handle that balance right. of so, doing what the people want and doing what fulfills you? You know, artistically. Right. Right. Um, so I actually don't love playing my own songs, which okay. I probably should, but it's I don't like being too vulnerable. I guess. Yeah. And a lot of it, you know, people want to know where it came from, and it's usually not a great place, you know. And okay. so it's just. I'll play it if they request it. And then, you know, I, I like to play our original stuff sometimes, but I I like more playing something that people know and they'll get into. I like yeah. watching the people have fun. Yeah. And that's hard when they don't know the song, and that's not their fault. So we'll throw in originals here and there on just an average day. But I love it when people request the originals because then we're on the same playing field. Like, okay, you enjoy this. I enjoy the song. So hopefully... And that, I mean, that's part of why you like dive bars is that energy from the audience. Right. And if you're doing, you know, a Shania Twain song that everybody Uh loves and knows and sings Uh along with, like it feels good. It does. It's great. I want, it's like, it has to be a cohesive thing. Like it's hard for us to have fun if the people aren't having fun. It's hard for us to just be background music. Right. Right. And I've never really understood that. Like if, especially, you know, restaurant gigs, a lot of them that's it's like they want live background music but i think it's just a waste of money yeah you know that's nobody's making eye contact yeah no one cares so i just it's pointless for that you know like it's supposed to be all of us having a good time together so what's the amarillo music scene like these days i mean it depends where you go i guess but i mean there's a, a variety you have your single acoustic acts which there's i feel like that's happening almost every night especially mm-hmm. during the summer and then, you know, you have big bands. And I think a lot of people don't realize the variety. Like, there's actually quite a few bands that aren't country. Like, a lot of bands are, you know, rock and roll. And then you have even, like, eclectic, like, super eccentric alternative going on. And it's everywhere. It's just, I don't know that people know how to find it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the things that we've found mm-hmm. with, with Brick and Elm and some of the stuff that we've done is that there's, until we started doing what we're doing, there was no place to kind of find all the listings together, right. all the restaurants mm-hmm. where people are performing, 
you know, yeah, in one place. Yeah, and there's tons of them. Yeah. Tons of them. It's all over the And place. it's all on Facebook, but like yeah. you can't go to every restaurant's Facebook page. No, and you out. shouldn't have to. Yeah. Like you, and I've actually had quite a few people tell me, oh, well, we looked at Brick and Elm and saw that all these people are playing. So it's working. Good. And I well, think it's great. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I, I want to hear with so many places, venues, restaurants that are booking live music, like what are some of your favorite places to play? Mm. If you can, if you can name that, you know, without without somebody getting, yeah, feelings. getting mad. Yeah. Like, what are what are some places that maybe would be surprising that this is a really good place to um, perform? So I love playing at Smoky Joe's. We play there once a month, but it's just it's a fun environment, especially during the summer because they have a big stage set up in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. So they roll out tables, and it's it's just fun. It's laid back. They still have food. Kids are still welcome. I like kids at shows because. They'll dance without getting drunk. You know, yeah. you don't you don't have to to entice them. They're just ready to go. That's one of those places that has somebody almost every night. They I feel do. Like. They do. They have someone every single night, and they have for years. But yeah, every single night they have live music. Tell me about some of the challenges of performing in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. You know, outdoor in the summer. I know that obviously an outdoor show is going to have some different energy than an indoor show mm-hmm. you know you've got wind and sun and heat and rain and all those things all the things um yeah. how, how do you handle that that kind of stuff well it's hard in the music industry like a lot of people who don't understand it want you to have contracts you know especially like families and friends that don't understand they're like well you should have had a contract they should have paid you and it's like no but they shouldn't have because we didn't do the work right and they didn't make money because customers weren't able to come in if it rains you know so it's like a mutual understanding that if it rains, you know that we can't set up, you know, stuff outside because we'll get electrocuted. Yeah. Like, it's not possible. Everything will get ruined. And so there just has to be a mutual understanding that some, sometimes it, stuff happens and there's nothing you can do about it. So we'll just reschedule and move on. Or, you know, if it's too hot, we, we usually just die in the heat. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, like, physically, I mean, you're, you're playing or you're singing in the mm-hmm. heat. You're singing if it's windy. Right. There are seasonal allergies. Right. There's dust storms. Like, does that impact your voice? And and how do you how do you protect that? Because like that's right. that's what you do. That's your job now. Right? right. Yeah. Um, I probably don't put enough of as much thought into it as I probably should. I should probably be more careful about it, but I just I guess roll with the punches. I mean, in the summer, especially if we're playing in the heat, we drink a lot of water just naturally. We just are thirsty because we're sweating and it's a whole thing. So wind was always a thing. So we're always catching things that are flying and it's just part of it. I guess I don't even think about it. You learn to swat the flies away. Oh yeah. All the time. Mosquitoes are real bad right now. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me what the next few years look like for you. I mean, I, I know, and, and a lot of people will have this assumption. Okay. You, you become prominent playing in an area like Amarillo, you want to move on to another market or a bigger market. You want to go to Austin or Dallas or Nashville, something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Does that sort of thought process, is that something you deal with? Are you satisfied with with what you do in Amarillo? Um, Yes and no. I think it's, we're already to the point where we're kind of oversaturating the market. And so, you know, the people who will show up at your shows will show up, but if they know they can see you next week, you know, they'll work that around their own schedule, which is great. You should be able to, you know, not just make your whole schedule based around seeing one band. Right. So, but we would like to get out of town. Now, I'm I'm not necessarily, you know, hellbent on like Nashville or Austin. I'm good playing even little towns, 
you know, those are great too. And honestly, the smaller towns are even better because there's really not a whole lot to do. So people yeah, will show they're up. They're thankful. And they're have... so grateful to have something to do. So uh, it's kind of like those dive bar scenes. They show up and they're just ha so happy something's happening that you don't have to do a whole lot to convince them that they're going to have fun. They're already, they're already having fun. It's built in. So, but I guess just, you know, going, going other places, mm -hmm. but not necessarily like big, huge ordeal. Since you took a risk to do what you do now, mm -hmm. do you feel like it's paid off? Like it, has it been what you wanted it to be? I guess I didn't think a lot of what I wanted it to be before I left. So that actually kind of weighs pretty heavy on me because it's hard to set goals when I don't know where exactly I want to go. Mm -hmm. Like I just want to get to a point where I'm, I guess, financially able to sustain myself through like streaming and all of that to where we can pick and choose gigs we want to play or we can focus on festival gigs every now and then. And it doesn't have to be a Tuesday through Saturday thing right. unless we want it to be. So like right now it's kind of, well, it has to be this because we're not making enough money in this revenue. Mm -hmm. And so to get to that point, I guess, would be, be the goal. More you, freedom in scheduling, I guess. Do you make much revenue from streaming? Not, Spotify and stuff? Well, Spotify pays maybe just... Fractions of pennies, oh, it's, right? It's fractions of pennies. So I think I get a payout. It pays me out like $25. Once it hits $25, I get, I get the payout. And that okay. happens maybe once a month. So, which is good. I mean, the stream, and that's from all streaming platforms, YouTube. Right, I right. mean, that's co a collective. So it's not too bad, but. Is it just your original stuff that's on there or are your covers on there too? Yeah. Uh, so there is a cover on there since we recorded one for the last album, but you don't really, I don't think we make revenue off that. Okay. That goes st straight, but we had to buy a licensing. I'm still, it's hazy. It's, it's, it's a complicated yeah, business. Yeah, it though. is complicated and it's. And I'm always afraid that I'm going to get sued or yeah. something for like playing these songs live. Shania and, Twain listens to this. Yeah, and, we mentioned and she's that. like, we have a problem. We're suing these people. And I'm like, well, well here's the $25 I yeah, got. <laughs> here's what I earned. Um, tell me how you deal with that part too, because obviously you know how to play the music you've written. You know how to play the favorites. Mm -hmm. But like if you are doing a lot of covers – and then there's a popular new song that hits and the crowd is going to want you to cover that. Like, are you constantly learning new music, following you know, the charts? Like we should be, but we don't, Okay, <laughs> we don't, we're like, well, we know this. And it's so, like, we're caught up to 2020, yeah, not anything even, after that. It's like t 2005 maybe. Okay. And we're like, if you want something new, like we don't know any of them, you know, we know some of the bigger ones, but it's just, it's hard to push like those new popular songs when like you also have your own stuff you're trying to push. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't mind playing like the favorites of all times, you know, like any man of mine, everyone, right. everyone's going to have a good time to that. But like, if you play a brand new, like Hardy song, which I don't know any of his songs or something like that, it's only a select few that are going to know it. And you, you just really have to know your crowd. And a lot of our crowd enjoys the older stuff, you know? Okay. So that's what we just stick with. Plus, you don't have to re rehearse that stuff, right? No, no, because I mean, we already know it. Because <laughs> you guys are playing five times a week. You probably aren't practicing outside no, of that, are you? No, we're not. And we, you know, again, if we did, we'd probably work up some new stuff. <laughs> we probably would. But anytime we do do something outside, it's, you know, trying to write new music and come up with something else. So that's, just, that's a hard balance. Because yeah. as much as we'd like to change up the set list, it's also... Well, we also need to focus on new music and 
writing and recording that. So yeah. it's it's a lot. I think every musician deals with that, though. Yes. Yeah. And um, there, you know, it doesn't happen very often, though, that people request new songs. If they request something, it's it's you know Free Bird or okay. Johnny Cash, like yeah. stuff that you can pull something out of. And a lot of times, you know, they'll request like a Johnny Cash song we don't know. And so we'll just, you know, supplement it with one we do. You'll say, didn't you mean Ring of Fire? Right. Yeah, exactly. So, but sometimes if we get a request a lot in a row, we'll say, okay, well, let's sit down and learn this one because okay. people are asking for it. But it, again, it's like fancy. Yeah. McIntyre, so it's like, okay, well, <laughs> or Dixie Chicks or... The the last thing I wanted to ask is, you know, you you grew up in Lubbock, but you've spent most of your professional career here mm -hmm. in Amarillo. And I wonder, you know, ours are different communities. Right. We're in the same part of the country. People see us as kind of sister towns, but right. like it's a different culture. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder if you could tell me kind of what you've what you've learned about Amarillo and Amarillo people, because you're interacting with them in a unique way. Right. But you're always interacting with new people. Yes. So like, tell me what you've learned or what you see about this area. Um, the people, they want to have fun. Like, they just, they want to have a good time. And they want everyone around them to have a good time. And so it's interesting. It's great being on stage because you can see everybody and how how they're acting. Mm -hmm. And you can a lot of times tell that, like, once one person starts feeling good, it just kind of it overflows to everyone else and they want it to. So they'll start interacting with everybody else. And it's just the community involved in it is unlike Lubbock. Lubbock okay. doesn't, it doesn't overflow like that. They stick to their little tables. Have you performed much in Lubbock? Yes. Like yes. enough yeah, to so, really compare the two yeah, places? Yeah. It's interesting. Like I feel like Amarillo is more of a community and it almost feels like Lubbock people compete. Hmm. Yeah. Like our table's cooler than yours, and it just kind of it's it's interesting. That's and interesting. like the Lubbock people are super sweet, but they don't. It's like they don't want other tables to mingle with each other. Hmm. Occasionally, it'll happen, but it's it's different. Whereas Amarillo's like, oh, let's just all combine our tables. The more the merrier, you know. You're having a good time. We're having a good time. This episode is supported by StoryBridge, an early childhood literacy program. In Potter and Randall counties, less than half of the children entering kindergarten are ready to learn to read. This educational deficit at age five negatively affects a child's performance from first grade all the way to 12th grade. Two years ago, StoryBridge launched the Dolly Parton Imagination Library program to address this problem. And thanks to generous local donors, more than 6,000 children under five are now registered and receive a new age-appropriate book in the mail every month at no cost to their families. It's a fantastic program. StoryBridge wants to expand the program, however, to reach more than 10,000 area children, and they need your donations in order to do it. So to give or to get involved, visit storybridgeama.org to learn more. That's storybridgeama.org. Okay, I'm back with Lindsay Lane. Lindsay, this part of the show is called Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes the fossilized jaw of a bone-crushing dog, which was discovered in Randall County. Uh, it lived here about two million years ago, and the fossil here was the first fossil of its type found in North America. You can see that at the museum. 
was about the size of a coyote, but apparently had really strong jaws. So <laughs> learn more, yeah, at uh, panhandleplains.org. When you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? No construction. Okay. I'm really hoping the loop is done and mm-hmm. that there's businesses along the loop and I can easily get from point A to point B in Amarillo without having to okay. navigate it. <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the road construction yes. that uh, we, we didn't have much for a long time and now we have all of it. All of it. All yeah. of it at one time. Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Gas stations. Yeah. I'm tired of looking at gas stations. <laughs> I know that's awful, but there's just they're all over the place. I want to see something different on a corner. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we must have enough drivers to sustain it because they guess, wouldn't be putting in there. I don't, if it I don't know how it's how it's working. Uh, I'm curious. Yeah, the but <laughs> economics of gas stations. That's yes, what I want to There's so many find out about. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? I would say trees, because where I am, there's no trees, but Um, I think like things to do outside of the ordinary, you know, like I feel like, you know, there's parks and then there's movie theaters and there's restaurants, but there's nothing like eclectic that you can be like, oh, let's go and do this. Okay. Do you have something in mind? Like have you? Well, so I don't know a whole lot about it though. I haven't really researched it or been, I've just heard things. So like in Tulsa, I know there's like a, a gathering place. So it's almost like a park, but it's. It's for all ages. It's not, you know, just geared towards kids. Like mm-hmm. there's just more interactive things to do. Anybody can just go and hang out and it's it's all all family friendly. You okay. Know? Just different things to do. What's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? I think the local restaurants. I don't think people give them enough credit. They're good food and good people. But. Yeah. Especially the ones that have musicians. Uh, yeah, time, exactly. Right? Oh, absolutely. Just keep you in business. <laughs> What's your favorite local coffee shop? Um, that was it eight oh six Coffee Lounge on Sixth Street mm-hmm. across from Smokies. It's Tasty's. They have music there pretty often. Yeah, they do a little single acoustic right. Act in there. Probably not not your scene music wise no, or no, matching up not. with the patrons there. Right, right? it's not. It's a little but I still bit, a little it. bit funkier. Great. But yeah, their coffee really gets yeah. me going. Okay, what's your favorite <laughs> local restaurant or food truck? Okay, this one's hard because there's a lot that I love. But Calico County has probably always been my favorite. Um, and then recently, there's a new place called Faze. Mm-hmm. And that is tasty stuff. And it's like healthy, which I'm not, right. I don't really care about that. But smoothies and salads, yeah. Yeah, and they have like these little cucumber things with chicken salad on them. But they have like a sriracha style sauce on it. I don't even know how to explain it, but it's addicting. Yeah, they've just opened a second location oh. um, over at Coulter and Thirty Four. Yeah, that's where uh, that's where I found them. And right, was, so their original oh. location is close to downtown. Oh. It's just a small little place there. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's tasty. And the food trucks, I love. I haven't found a food truck I don't like. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. What's your favorite Amarillo neighborhood? Um, I'm gonna have to go with Wolflin, just because of the trees and the brick roads. I don't know, homey looking. It doesn't look yeah. like Amarillo. It's yeah. just yeah. its own little thing. Okay. When was the last time you visited the Big Texan? About a year ago. I took my three nephews. They had to watch them for about a week, so we went. But it was kind of a disaster. I was just me and these, and I don't have any kids, and these three boys. And the youngest one, who's like three, he fell and scraped his knee. And I didn't realize it was going to be that big of a deal, but it was a very big deal. Scream, bloody murder. Wow. And then I have these other kids, so... 
I was like herding cats and didn't know what to do because I don't have kids. So I was like, uh. <laughs> There's a lot to get a kid's attention out at the Big Texan. Yes, and that's what was happening. We yeah. were out kind of in the beer garden area and they were running around and he tripped and fell. And I was like, oh, this is great. But that was probably the last time I went. Okay. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience? So there's a local nonprofit. It's called Amarillo Angels. Mm -hmm. And they specialize in helping foster families or and really helping encourage the, the families who are hosting kids. So yes, they help the kids, but also the people who are, who are involved, everybody in the household, grandma, right. sisters, brothers, it They've just, they do a love box program so people can sign up and, you know, go just love on the families and offer them support because that's a hard thing. And there's not enough foster families sure. for how many that have to, how many kids are displaced in this area. So it's important that those, that those families don't stop. Yeah. And so, get the support yes. to continue right. what's a pretty hard commitment. Oh yeah. Super difficult. So. Okay. Yeah. Gwen Hicks, the uh, executive director yeah. of Emerald Angels has actually been a past guest on yeah, the podcast. She's the sweetest. Love her. Okay. Lindsay Lane, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Lindsay for the interview. You can listen to her music and learn more about her at lindsaylaneofficial.com. Also, check out the last page of the July-August issue of Brick and Nail Magazine, where she's the focus of our regular finish section. Thanks to StoryBridge and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring Hey Amarillo, and thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thank you for listening. I, I really do appreciate it, just that you subscribe to it, that you download episodes, that you listen to them, that you tell me you've listened, that you tell my guests you've heard them on the podcast. All of that is so meaningful to me. Thanks also to the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Heyamarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Katie Linger, Wes Reeves, Cindy Graham, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 308. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.